This is Upfront Tech, I'm Brian edwards Teekert, and the world's largest social platform has had a bit of a public image problem since the 2016 election. Facebook has drawn charges of enabling the spread of fake news, of selling political ads to Russia-associated accounts, and of failing to enforce its own terms of service when it comes to knocking bots, trolls, and harassers off its platform. The response from Facebook's leadership went through the normal steps. Step one, denying there's a problem. Step two, surprise, good heavens, how could we have known such untoward things were happening? Step three, preemption. We totally got this, no need to regulate. Here's Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg last September. It is a new challenge for internet communities to have to deal with nation states attempting to subvert elections. But if that's what we must do, then we are committed to rising to the occasion. Our sophistication in handling these threats is growing and improving quickly. We will continue working with the government to understand the full extent of Russian interference, and we will do our part, not only to ensure the integrity of free and fair elections around the world, but also to give everyone a voice and to be a force for good and democracy everywhere. To be a force for good and democracy everywhere. A couple months after Mark Zuckerberg said those words, in a report that probably didn't get enough attention because it came out right before Christmas, Bloomberg exposed that Facebook's not only been serving as a platform for extremist political movements, but actively working with some of them. Turns out the company has a consulting arm that has worked for Hindu nationalist Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, for Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte, who has urged on a wave of thousands of extrajudicial killings, and for Germany's new nationalist anti-immigrant party, the AfDe, and of course, the campaign of Donald J. Trump. We're joined now by the reporter behind that story, Sarah Fryer. Good to talk to you. Good to be here. Can you uh, sketch out the origins of this political unit within Facebook? So, actually, the origins date back to, uh, as they do with many things at Facebook, strategically, competition. Internally at Facebook, they were realizing that Twitter was becoming just this this amazing destination for world leaders to have a global stage. This is long before Donald Trump really took advantage of the platform, maybe back in 2014 or so. And the company was trying to think, well, you know, they have celebrities, uh, politicians, and more on their platform. This is a way to grow. This is a way, you know, when you get the most important people in the world to use their your service, the people who want to listen to those people follow. So this was an effort not only to get politicians on, but to get major sports stars, movie stars, etc. And Facebook built a unit that reached out directly to world leaders and political campaigns and said, we're here to help you. We want to give you access to our tools. We want to train your team. We want to make sure that you know how to be most effective on Facebook. Now, what happened is these leaders now, for whatever political party, Facebook tried to not discriminate. They went you know, far right, far left. Anyone who wanted to have more power on Facebook, they would train. The problem is, in many of these cases, these leaders were using the platform in countries where it had become really the the news and where people were sort of using Facebook as their first introduction to the internet, as their first introduction to online news. And so all of the things that 
that we see happen that are um, damaging on Facebook, these leaders in some case really knew how to weaponize and the people who used the sites were really taken advantage of by their leaders who had this special training and support. So what do we know about like what exactly this unit does in terms of the services it would provide to, say, a, a Modi campaign? So this unit is run by a woman named Katie Harbath. It is focused on trying to get users to use Facebook's newest tools. For example, Rodrigo Duterte asked him to live stream a talk using Facebook's new live video tool. Facebook's trying to get people to use that. Leaders are a good place to start. Also helping them understand how to use the advertising system. You know, this group is not necessarily involved with sales, but it's kind of their liaison to Facebook as a whole. Really just about effectiveness, about what kinds of content gets reach, about how to tailor your message, about how to get it to go viral, and how to be really personally connected to your audience through Facebook. And it all seems very benign, unless you think about what these leaders were using it for. And in some cases, they're using it to spread fake news, they're using it to smear their opponents, they're using it to silence people. And so then you get to the question of, you know, should a social network that is supposed to be a neutral platform, or at least is trying to operate that way, be enabling that kind of behavior for a, a situation where the people in the government have more power than their citizens do. What do we know about where they draw the line at who they will work with? Well, they didn't work with some very far right white nationalists. You know, they wouldn't work with ISIS. They've had a, a huge campaign to actually get rid of ISIS accounts on their network. So they do draw the line in some places. But they have worked with the Scottish National Party. They've worked with Duterte. They've worked with Modi. They've worked with some of these campaigns on the fringes that certainly have used Facebook to their advantage. Every example you've mentioned so far, except the Scottish National Party, has been a hard right party. Every one of them is in some way nationalist. Do you think there's something about Facebook's tools that make it a better suited platform to that kind of politics, that kind of uh, right-wing populism? So on Facebook, the stuff that gets shared is the stuff that sparks emotion, right? Anger, happiness, sadness, surprise, right? That's why fake news does so well. People say, oh my God, this happened? I have to share this. I have to tell people about this. This is outrageous. Um, So anything that gets people riled up, wanting to share, wanting to engage, that's the stuff that Facebook's algorithm will then say, oh, this this is something people care about. We should boost it. We should get it in front of more eyeballs because then you people who come to Facebook will feel like they're getting high quality content or this is what they want to read. That's what the signals are telling us. So I think that um, this has all, all the events, not just with um, you know democracy in, in these countries, but also with the Russian meddling in the U.S. election, these have all served to inform Facebook that maybe that popularity contest of the algorithm is not necessarily a healthy way to do things. And after our story came out in December, Facebook actually came out and said, okay, maybe social media is not always healthy for democracy. They came out and and admitted that that could be a problem and said they were studying it. So 
unclear what will change next, but it's certainly yeah, interesting. I mean, the, their defense on this front is kind of they're willing to work with anybody. They offered their services to the Hillary Clinton campaign, which turned them which down. Which Hillary didn't want. Yeah. But it also kind of gets to a bigger point, which is that if Facebook says it didn't know what was going on on its platform, then it wasn't paying attention to how the people it was working with were using it. I think that when Facebook looks historically at activity on the platform, they're looking at, is this successful? Is it getting the kind of reach we wanted to get? Is it getting the kind of engagement we wanted to get? And they're looking at these overall metrics like, wow, look how many millions of people are using live video. Our efforts must be successful. What they have not been looking at, which they're starting to look at, is the societal implications. This is not one of the things that it's easy to track in metrics. It's only something that you can look at when you step back and say, okay, does government having access to this platform, are they using it in a way that is good for its people? And Facebook has shied away from making those kind of judgments because they feel like it's it's honestly not their job. It's the job of the government to do what's best for their country. They operate based on local laws. They want to make sure that they are in compliance everywhere. They see themselves as merely a tool, merely a platform for whatever people want to use it for. And the idea generally on social networks, including Twitter, is that because everyone has access to the same tools, ultimately, ideally, the truth should win out or what is good should win out because people will be debating each other. And even if somebody posts some false news, the comments of that article will say, oh, this is false. You shouldn't believe it. And so that was how things were supposed to work. But that is not how they worked. And why isn't that how they worked? Because we're all living in different realities now. Um, this is <laughs> I know I'm getting a little bit existential when I say that, but it's true. And when you look at your Facebook network, you are being fed information from like-minded people. Although your total Facebook has done studies on this, your total network of friends, the people you're connected to, may have many more diverse ideas than you would generally see in a life without Facebook. On Facebook, you are following certain people that you have close ties with, and they're sharing stuff that you want to see. And your behavior on Facebook amplifies that for yourself. So say you tend to click on right-leaning stories, you might get more of those stories, and then it's just kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy from there. So then the idea of what truth is and what sort of the general public knows if you're getting all your news from Facebook, you don't really have a clear picture of what the entire conversation is. Just like if you only watch Fox News, you don't have an idea of what people are hearing if they're watching CNN. And we've seen that those networks portray things very differently, tailored directly to their audience. And on social networks, it's just amplified. Now you mentioned Facebook trying to operate in accordance with the laws of the countries it operates in, but you've also documented their efforts to change those laws. Specifically in this country, they've been trying to carve out an exemption from FEC rules that require them to put disclosures on political ads about where their money comes from. Facebook is very reactionary. So in the in the past, they've they've said, you know, we don't want more regula- any regulation, any more regulation tends to be harmful to a company's ability to grow in the way it wants, or at least have the flexibility to do so. But since this this whole revelation of what was happening on the network, Facebook is now saying, okay, 
that may have been our stance in the past, but now we realize that we are totally open to the idea of regulation. We just want to, you know, try it ourselves. They're coming out and saying, you don't need to regulate us. We're already going to add transparency to our network, which is kind of like, also, please don't regulate us. <laughs> yeah, the company's had a, an interesting history of in, in fighting laws in many different countries to try to make it easier just to operate their business. The fundamental question this raises is the proclivity of people in tech is to figure out how to tweak an algorithm to fix a problem, to Mm -hmm. punish fake news, to detect trolls and kick them off the platform. I I guess my question is, is this fixable at that level? Or is there a fundamental conflict between being a business that is based on micro-targeted ads and also being the largest civic conversation platform in the world? Are, Are those two things inconsistent with having a healthy democracy? I think that's that's an extremely important question that is ricocheting off the walls of Facebook's Menlo Park headquarters as we speak. This is the problem. How does Facebook change if it is working in this world where it wants to be better, it wants to have a positive impact on society? How can it do that if its algorithm is still tailored toward attention? And you know, of course, what gets attention, we just spoke about, that's the stuff that sparks emotion. And what sparks emotion is not always what is healthy and level-headed and nuanced. It's not just a question of Facebook's algorithm reinforcing things that provoke a strong emotional response. It's also that its algorithm promotes things that reinforce whatever prejudices people are already bringing with them to the platform. There was a really interesting instance this year that kind of drove that point home. Facebook decided that in order to try to stem fake news crisis from getting worse, they would work with third-party fact-checkers. And what the fact-checkers could do is get this constant stream of news that was flagged by users as potentially false, and they would go in and say, okay, yes, this is false, or no, this isn't false. And then Facebook would put a badge on a story that said, you know, this is marked disputed. And if you clicked on it, you would get a link to the Snopes or PolitiFact or whatever fact-checking site had marked it disputed, the link to the story that explains why. What they found, actually, was when people are told that the news that they want to believe is actually fake, they double down. They, in some cases, get more set in their ways about how the truth is being hidden and Snopes has an agenda or PolitiFact has an agenda. And so what Facebook started doing is they took away that disputed tag and instead they're going to put the fact checker articles, they still have this third party program, but put those in related links below the story that a user is reading so that if they on their own decide they want to click it and see the related story, they can, but they're not being told this isn't true. People don't want to be told what to think, and especially not by Facebook. I'm curious, I wanted to circle back to the political unit within Facebook that we were discussing at the beginning of this interview. When companies work with really big clients, sometimes the advice moves in both directions. Is there any evidence of 
you know, a massive public figure like a Narendra Modi, who has more followers on Facebook than anybody else, over 40 million, telling Facebook, hey, we'd like things to work a little bit differently. Can you add this button? Can you make this tweak to the algorithm? Can you change your platform to suit our politics? I think there are certainly examples of Facebook benefiting from the relationship beyond this uh, just training. Uh, We found many instances in which Facebook actually trumpeted its work with political leaders like the Scottish National Party, actually putting it on their case study website, talking about how well the relationship worked and allowed these people to spread their message. And so it certainly helps Facebook go to other clients and say, here's what we did with this partner. Here's why it works so well. We can do the same for you. And I think, you know, there are always examples of Facebook making it a little easier. When they go to other countries, there are things about the mobile networks that could work a lot faster, insights they get about how people use the network. Like, for example, in India, many people have multiple phone numbers, for example. So it might be more difficult for them to do login authentication. Little things like that that they learn from being there on the ground in the country that they definitely take back to their product teams, try to refine it. I don't think we found in our reporting specific examples of political leaders requesting things and getting it from Facebook, except there was an instance in which the Vietnamese government bragged that Facebook was building them a specific channel of news that did not include any negative news about the leaders of the country. Facebook did not necessarily confirm that. That sounds like a polite way of describing a custom-tailored censorship tool. Absolutely. Uh, And that's how it was sort of brought across as a kind of bragging from the Vietnamese government. It's unclear exactly whether they have something unique or whether they're just using Facebook in a way that is tailored based on their own preferences on the platform. All right. Sarah Fryer, thank you very much for your reporting. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us about it. Thank you so much for having me. Sarah Fryer is a technology reporter for Bloomberg. We will link to her investigation on Facebook's political unit from our website, kpfa.org. That does it for this edition of Upfront Tech. If you like what you're hearing, help us out. Rate and review us in whatever app you use to listen. It really helps us get the word out. Upfront Tech is produced and hosted by me, Brian edwards Teeker, with help from Lucy Kang. If you just found this, especially if you live in the Bay Area, you might also like the daily show that we produce at KPFA. It's called Upfront, No Tech. We're on live weekday mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. Pacific, streaming at kpfa.org, or over the terrestrial airwaves at 94.1 FM. We also love to hear what you think. Send email to upfront at kpfa.org.